Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, we're going back to school on the podcast today. We're handing out grades for the SEC and the ACC. We're debating who is moving forward into the new offseason with the most momentum. All that and more right here on The Three Technique. One man. Goodbye! Hello, Heisman! 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45, there goes Davis! Oh my god! Davis is going to run it all the way back! Auburn's going to win the football game! I get it to Rogers. I get it back down to the 30. They're down to the 20. All of is out on the field! He's going to go into the end zone! Four man Alabama rush. Got him. Oh no, they didn't. Oh my god! Well, welcome in one and all to the three technique, the college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmy's and Joe's. I'm Trey Reeves joined by Garrett Turney today. Mitch is recovering from a business trip and we're giving him the day off this afternoon, but Garrett, as we uh, survived, hopefully, Ice Apocalypse 2024, um, we're moving out of it. Hopefully, we're getting a little bit warmer down here in the Lone Star State. How are we feeling? Man, we're feeling a, a lot warmer, obviously. I, I'm not 100% sure that's the end of the ice. I, I have kind of a feeling we're going to get one of those sneaky end of February ones where it's, you know, just barely, you know, the the sneaks in there before winter's officially over and it starts to really warm up. You get that big cold front, but... Uh, no, it was a fantastic time uh, over here. A couple of days off of work, so I could get in and you know getting to spend a little extra time with my wife and prepare some stuff. We made s'mores in our fireplace. It was a lot of fun. Lovely. So you know, just doing all the kind of fun things that you get to do when you're in and it's cold outside. And we get it down here for like a week at a time, maybe max, and then yeah. like in a couple of days it's going to be 70 degrees again. And that's the beautiful thing. We don't have to bunker in for three months at a time like some of our friends up north do. We just get it for a week and it's awful for a week, but then it's over. Well, I want to go ahead and address that too. There's a lot of like the North looking at the South being like, you jokers, you get like a little bit of ice on the road, you call off work. Well, we don't make fun of y'all too much when you complain about the 90 degree heat waves. Okay. When it gets down to like 110 down here. So we can all just agree things are different for everybody. Let us enjoy our stuff. We're not going to tell you how to react to your weather. Don't tell us how to, you know, not drive on the roads or something like that. Yeah, we haven't discovered non-elevated highways. You guys haven't discovered air conditioning. It's modern technology that we need to (laughs) both adapt to. But, you know, all that being said, Garrett, we are moving into the doldrums of winter. NFL playoffs are in full swing, which means we're going to be without football for quite some time here very, very soon. But recruiting season is heating up more and more. So that's where I want to start today with our quick question off the top. As we move forward, you know, year after year, I think more and more programs are embracing the transfer portal. We've seen a lot of teams this cycle that haven't embraced it in the past finally, you know, come all in. I'm thinking of, you know, Texas A&M, Clemson a little bit, but not really. Uh, Dabo's still clinging to the past a little bit there. 
So my quick question for you today, Garrett, if you're in charge of a head football program, you're a new coach, you are starting from scratch, essentially having a rebuild job, maybe not Kalen DeBoer taking over at Alabama, but maybe one of these lower level jobs where you're truly rebuilding. What percentage of your time and resources are you going to dedicate to the transfer portal versus traditional recruiting? I think it's a sliding scale. I think when you start off, you got to hit the portal hard. I mean, you got to, if you're day one, you got to make sure your recruits are still bought in. You got to go talk to them all, make sure you don't completely lose your recruiting class. But I'm hitting the transfer portal day one super hard. I'm seeing who doesn't like their fit where they are. I'm seeing, you know, what what can we do to get you on the field here? Who's looking for playing time? Who's looking for, you know, a development situation? And I'm just going to, you know, cast my net far and wide and see who can I bring in to try to help me get some more guys on my roster. And, and then I think as time goes on, you do want to kind of shift and say like, okay, well, as I'm going this direction, I'm shifting towards more of a, you know, recruiting focused uh, program because you want to get your guys in there. You want to get your guys in with your culture, with your ideas. You want to develop your guys the way that you uh, desire to, because obviously you get a guy who's a junior or a senior through the portal. That could be a really good player, but if he's not in on your culture, if he doesn't know how y'all do things, the transition can be rough. And so I'd rather recruit guys later on, but I do think you need to use the portal to kind of bridge that gap, especially at the first part. You're so far behind the eight ball too. When you take over a program, mm-hmm. you know, you're going up against these uh, for these prospects where you guys have been building relationships with other coaches for two or three years. Yeah. And you're asked sometimes over the matter of two weeks to keep a recruiting class together. It's just absolutely insane what these new hires have to do. But I think I'm right there with you. I think, you know, off the top, my first year, it seems like the most successful transitions happen hitting the portal hard, whether that's finding a quarterback that needs a new start, finding that elite receiver, finding that offensive tackle, just picking and choosing where you can fill in the gaps of people you need. You know you're going to lose people out of the portal that are either following the old coach or just not cutting it at your school. You need to fill those gaps with talented upperclassmen if you want to hit the ground running. And I think that naturally flows into high school and junior college recruiting in the next year junior college i was thinking about this with this question junior college has kind of been cast by the wayside with the transfer portal you know that used to be the way that you got your 20 21 year olds that have been in a program for a couple years but now with the transfer portal you don't really need to keep in contact with those jucos as much anymore yeah and it's kind of sad to go by the wayside but on the flip side it is really nice for you know, the players who have committed to a program for a couple of years, they're not passing people on the depth chart. There can be a litany of reasons why. Um, maybe it's, you know, new guys, a new position coach that likes somebody else better. You know, they bring in a, a they bring in a transfer themselves that jumps you. It's just really nice to see that, you know, some of these players who are getting buried on depth charts get to go find a place for themselves to play and actually play college football, right? Nobody wants to be the guy who just rides the bench for four years and hangs out, whatever, right? That's not what most people sign up for when they sign up to go play college football they want to go play and so being able to get those guys a chance to get on the field play college football you know show their talents you know nfl or not you know draft projections or not we're not worried about all that stuff i'm just worried about and thinking about getting to actually put yourself on the field and perform i like that the transfer portal has given us that for a lot of these players who you know otherwise wouldn't get to see the field yeah that's absolutely right and it's gonna be fascinating to see how coaches adjust more and more throughout the years as this becomes more and more of a thing. Garrett, let's pay some bills real quick. Our show is brought to you by Home Field Apparel. 
Guys, football season may be over, but basketball season is heating up. Bomber jacket season is here with the cold weather that's hitting all around the country. You can get all the gear that you need from our friends over at Home Field Apparel. T-shirts, long sleeves, hats, bomber jackets, whatever you need, hoodies, sweats, whatever you need. Home Field has got it with the iconic retro designs that we all know and love. Use that code 3TECHPOD at checkout for 15% off your first order. And use our link on our Twitter and in our bio uh, for 15% off your purchase as well. Garrett, let's get into some news and notes. Our news and notes are brought to you by the Transfer Portal CFB. Follow them all offseason long for all of the biggest storylines. And we got a few things to hit here real quick. First of all, Alabama, if you have not noticed, uh, the transition from Nick Saban to Kalen DeBoer has been less than smooth already. Not anything against DeBoer, but they are bleeding players left and right into the transfer portal. Some of the household names that uh, have entered so far, Caden Proctor, the freshman offensive tackle, Caleb Downs uh, commits to Ohio State out of the transfer portal. One of the biggest, uh, you know, who the coaches on Alabama's staff last year said was the best player on the team as a freshman. Um, You know, guys left and right, they've lost – upwards of 20 players to this point. It was 30 this week when I saw 30. Yeah. Up to 30 players out of the transfer portal. What, what is going on at Alabama? First of all, is this anything more than the usual coach turnover or is it just mostly explained away by losing Nick Saban? It's kind of a combination. Yes. There's going to be coaching turnover anytime there's a new guy taking over your program, but you did just lose the greatest football coach that's ever coached the game. And so there's a lot of players that showed up to this program with an expectation, right? They were expecting that they were going to be one of the, I mean, several first round draft picks that Saban's put out, right? They were saying, you know, Saban's put out this many draft picks and I want to be the next one of those. Right. And, and so, you know, for a lot of these guys, they show up and that's the promise. And, you know, Kalen DeBoer is a great coach. There's no questioning that you coach a national championship game. You're a great coach, but that's not Nick Saban. He hasn't put that much talent in the NFL. He hasn't had the time to, frankly. I mean, he hasn't coached as long as Saban has at, at as big of a program as Saban has. And, and he hasn't had that chance. And so, you know, when I think about this whole situation, in Alabama, uh, I'm going to compare it to, you know, an in-conference, you know, team that we get a lot of comments about especially on Twitter and everything else, it's Texas A&M, right? They lose their head coach that, you know, they promised a lot of players, a lot of stuff. Obviously, Jimbo Fisher is nowhere near the caliber Nick Saban is, but he he is a head coach that promised a lot of things and a lot of development to some high-profile players, and they lost 23 guys to the portal. The stark difference right now between what Elko's done in a couple months so far on the job versus what DeBoer has been able to do just in the week is – Elko's brought in 23 to replace his 23. Right now, Bama's only got four coming in. And, and so it's not sky is falling time for Alabama. And we're not there yet. You lost some talented players. Don't get me wrong. You lost a ton of players. And a lot of the talent that you may have otherwise had has already found a destination in the transfer portal. But there are still good players in the transfer portal that you can go find to fill out your roster. It's just going to be on DeBoer finding a way to fill that out. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you compare it to Mike Elko. Elko's had a few months on the job, gotten to have some big visit weekends. DeBoer will catch up, and I think he will figure it out. But to say that the fan base is getting a little restless down there in Tuscaloosa, I think is an understatement. And this is what part of what I was talking about a couple episodes ago. You got to let the man have some time. 
right? You have to let him do his job. You can't freak out over this, you know, brief wave. And you got to be okay with him, you know, trusting the process with Kalen DeBoer. Because, you know, some of the stuff I've seen on social media from Alabama fans are just freaking out or saying that the NCAA needs to change the rules is just laughable. Like, welcome to what the rest of college football has had to experience for the last 16, 17 years, Alabama fans. You don't have the cheat code anymore. You're going to have to live life like the rest of us. And it's a little difficult to see players that you're really excited about go to another program. That's life for all 130 plus other FBS schools at this point. Right. Well, and, you know, I started to feel bad kind of reading through some of the Bama comments and the message boards and everything else, because, you know, you're looking at a fan base that hasn't really had to go through this in a long time. And they're they're going through it and they're saying, you know, like it's tough. You know, they, they lose their quarterback that just signed. Right. And he's supposed to be the future. He's the number one quarterback in this class. He hits the portal like two weeks in because, I mean, of, of course he does. You're not yeah. going to play for Saban. You're going to go play for somebody else. And I respect that. I have no issue with that. As a player, you you signed a contract and it was immediately broken, basically. And, and, and again, nothing wrong. You're allowed to change a coaching job and all that. Right. And so I kind of feel for the fans and, and I was starting to feel bad for them. And then I remembered, oh, wait, this is the fan base that, you know, has got six natties in the last you know couple decades. And, right. you yeah. know, it's I have no sympathy for you, Alabama fans. I have zero sympathy for you. You can grow up. OK, you can deal with the fact that you're going through the same stuff that all of us are going through. Okay, all of us have to watch our favorite players get poached by somebody else at every single program, right? If you're an AM fan, you're mad that Ole Miss poached Walter Nolan. But if you're an Ole Miss fan, you're mad that they took Quinshawn Judkins and he took off for Ohio State. And, and, and you know, I know that everyone's going to justify with character concern. Oh, Quinshawn wasn't that good. Oh, well, Walt, he wasn't da 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 Everyone's going to do that to every player that walks out the door. You're seeing it with Bama fans. They're complaining that Caden Proctor's soft and he doesn't want to compete. Caden Proctor ain't soft. That's a really good offensive tackle. He went to Iowa for a reason, and I was going to have a solid offensive line with Proctor anchoring the whole thing. So, like, Bama fans, welcome to college football. Uh, You don't get to just leave halfway through the football game and still expect that your team's going to make the natty. You're going to get to stay. You're going to have to yell in the fourth quarter. You're going to have to, you know – go through some nail biters and it's not a foregone conclusion. You're going to win your conference anymore. So I, I want to feel bad for you, but I don't. And I'm going to be just one more thing on that. I'm going to be so frustrated if the NCAA finally steps in because Alabama <laughs> is complaining. Like I can just see that happening right now. And I'm sure just, I'm pre frustrated about that. Possibly. I'm That's a so, good word. That's yeah. a good word. A couple other things, Garrett, that have happened since we last got to uh, have an episode here. Jed Fish is the new head coach at Washington. Gosh, that seems like a month ago now, but it was earlier this week. Um, Jed Fish goes from Arizona to Washington. Brent Brennan is uh, coming down from San Jose State to take over the Wildcat program in Jed Fish's absence. Interesting hire for Washington, and I think it's a good hire for Washington. It's an interesting move to me for Jed Fish because he was really building something down there in the desert. You had to look at them as one of the probable favorites in the Big 12 next year, and it's a much easier path to the playoff, hypothetically, in the Big 12 than it is in the Big 10, where Washington is going to be rebuilding, uh, certainly in year one, losing a lot of talent with Kalen DeBoer leaving. Any thoughts, quick thoughts on you know this move from Jed Fish Good hire from Washington, obviously, but to me, it has me scratching my head a little bit for Fish. Yeah, I, I was confused about it until I saw the financial situation that Arizona's going through with the whole, you know, 
miscounting or whatever they said. I, I can't even remember how that original tweet was worded, but I remember reading it and going, so they didn't count right. And now they don't have like $250 million or something like that. Like they're, they're in a massive hole because something happened is kind of what I'm gathering in Arizona. And now I, I probably need to dig into it a little bit more, but kind of saw it in passing and thought, oh, okay, well now I get why Jed Fish left is because they haven't got any money over there at Arizona. And, you know, you might be thinking like you got a good roster and you got some good players, but Jed Fish knows that in this day and age in college football, you have to be able to sustain that. You have to be able to play the transfer portal. Like we were just talking about, you need to go find your guys in the transfer portal, recruit your guys there. NIL is involved. And so if you're Arizona and you're in a little bit of a mess right now with your money, um, I don't blame Jed Fish for going to the program that just made the national championship. And, you know, obviously they lose their coach, but Jed Fish did great things. He's going to be able to keep them competitive. If they can go in and win, I don't know, eight or nine games in the initial year in the Big Ten, I think they're right back on track. And I think that they can keep building it and not lose too much. Obviously, you know, losing the board, losing the players that you're losing, a lot of the guys graduating, going on to the NFL. Yeah, you're going to lose a lot for Washington. You're going to take a step back. Michigan, too, by the way. Both of our national championship contenders taking a step back. But it's okay to take a step back if you're rebuilding, getting a head coach in place, and you know, kind of staying competitive. And I think Fish will let him do that. I, I think it's a good move for both of them, and I feel really bad for Arizona fans because it's not your fault that your school seems to have mismanaged some things. Yeah, that, that's, that's well said. Um, the financial component is certainly something – that not a lot of people have seen. And, you know, that's definitely something that is going to be a big factor, not just with player retention, but coach retention as well as it always is. So only other thing we've got going on right now, majorly, uh, obviously we're counting down to national signing day. We'll be keeping you guys updated on all the happenings there. We're still on Harbaugh watch as he has <laughs> interviewed with a couple of NFL head coaching vacancies, man, it is such a typical Jim Harbaugh, uh, way of doing things to keep everybody strung out no, no news on that front so we don't need to spend a whole bunch of time speculating garrett but yeah we're on hardball watch as always and we will probably if anything does happen break in with an emergency pod to keep you guys updated i will say we did talk about that a little bit on the victory lap episode that me and teddy did over the weekend so if you guys want to go back to that episode you can go obviously hit down there subscribe go find the channel and then Go back and find that Victory Lap episode. It was a lot of fun. And we talked a little bit about Harbaugh at the very end and what it might look like if he does leave, if he doesn't leave. So we talked a lot about that then. I'm sure we'll break, you know, some kind of a podcast when the news officially breaks. Yeah, great plug there. That's a That was a great episode that you guys did. Um, let's take a quick break and then we will jump into our report cards for the SEC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, we're back and we, like I said off the top, are breaking down report cards today. We're going through the SEC and the ACC. We'll do the Big Ten and Big 12 on a future episode. And we are including the teams that are moving to these conferences for 2024 so that we can kind of get a full picture of what the league is going to look like and kind of just remind ourselves, honestly, Garrett, that we have a lot of teams on the move for 2024. This is going to be our first look 
at some of those teams in their new conferences on this show. And Garrett, let's start with the SEC. And we've kind of broken the teams into three categories. We've got our top of the class overachievers. We've got our passing. That's our C's and our B's. And we've got our teams that failed their tests for this year. So off the top, our SEC passing overachievers, you know, overachievers is an interesting term for this group, at least, because, you know, if you ask the fan bases of Alabama and Georgia, for sure, you know, we give them an A, uh, you know, an A minus overall record. That's by their standards, right? Like we are obviously, you know, grading on a curve here. Obviously, Alabama and Georgia had an objectively better season than Missouri or Ole Miss. They made it to the SEC championship game. In Alabama's case, they made it to the college football playoff. But, you know, Missouri and Ole Miss winning a New Year's Six game is a huge, huge step for that program. And then you got Texas, the newcomer in the SEC, arguably having the best season out of this group, finally breaking through and making it to the college football playoff. Obviously, the Sugar Bowl didn't go how they wanted it to but they finally proved a lot of naysayers wrong in making it that far and doing what they're supposed to do, right? Winning the big 12 in dominating fashion, a lot of, in a lot of cases, in a lot of those games and making it to the promised land of the college football playoff. Yeah. And obviously Texas not doing this in the sec this year, but you can't take it away from them. They had a fantastic season and, you know, the the idea that Texas is back certainly has more legs than it's had in a long time, right? And and we'll see how they transition into SEC play next year. But I think there's a lot of people with a lot of reasons to think they should do pretty well. And so, you know, great job for Texas. Ole Miss, I think, what was it, their first, like, 11-win season ever or something like that is is or at least in a very long time. And so it was the first time they'd ever won 11 games. Yeah. Right. Which is crazy because, you know, you think with that program, they would have been able to break through. They've had some really good teams, especially even the last 10 years. And so I think, you know, that was a massive mark for them. Missouri, you know, the darling of college football this year, maybe just the, the, Oh, they, you know, look at Missouri. There they go. They don't really have the recruiting. They don't really have the, the transfers necessarily, but they nailed a couple of transfers and and they nailed a couple of the recruiting spots and so and they put a good team on the field. Luther Burden breaking through and and just, just everything on that team. I love what was happening there. And then you got the big dogs, right? Alabama, Georgia, good seasons. Just felt like they fell a little bit short. That's why we can't really give them those top marks because I don't think those fan bases were satisfied with the seasons either, right? Right. You know, you, you get a Rose Bowl appearance for Alabama in the playoff. Great. You got the SEC title. Great. You know, they're they're not necessarily not used to that. Bama wins the SEC title frequently, but you fall short. Right. You don't make it to the title game. You, you don't win the bowl game. You're in Georgia wins their bowl game over kind of a, a hapless, you know, shell of FSU. Uh, but, you know, that's not what Georgia wanted going into the season. They were eyeing the three Pete and they fell short of that mark. And so great seasons for everyone nobody should feel bad about these seasons all these teams should be in contention for the sec next year but i i do agree you know there's there's some places where all of them fell short um and you know ultimately at the end of the day you know we we give them the grades we give them based on their expectations you know i think the only team that really exceeded the expectations they had going into the year was texas who i think a lot of texas fans thought they were going to be better a lot of texas fans thought they might even win the conference but I don't think any of them really expected to be as good as they were and as dominant as they were at times and still make the college football playoff with not really that much doubt, get the three seed. It was a really impressive run for them this season. Yeah, absolutely. 
Garrett, let's move on to our middle tier. These are teams that passed, but they could definitely use some improvement. And some of them went out and made some improvements in the coaching front or in the recruiting front. And that list is going to be Auburn, Kentucky, LSU, Oklahoma, Tennessee, and Texas A&M. These are our B's and our C's. Off the top, I want to talk about Oklahoma because B plus for a 10 win season, you know, that, that kind of feels like a low mark. But, you know, again, the standard that Oklahoma has put out on the field over the last decade plus, that's that's a little bit below their standards, right? Losing games to Kansas and Oklahoma State, losing that bowl game to Arkansas. I know they had a lot of opt-outs. I know they've dealt with a lot of transfer issues, but, you know, still the offense is humming. And the defense was much improved this year for Oklahoma. If you're looking for a bright spot, it's it's that for Oklahoma. Your offense is still in really good hands, I think. And your defense is improving slowly. If you can keep getting talent into Norman, you're going to be not, you know, the dominant giant of the Big 12, but I think you're going to do okay in the SEC. With these other programs, you can clearly see what's holding them back is a fatal flaw, right? Whether that's the abysmal defense. That was the only F minus that I handed out uh, just because of how big the discrepancy was between the offense and the defense at LSU. LSU does not play defense. LSU did not does not play even that's and it's so not a like cool. a talent either I don't know what the deal is yeah that you know that's going to be historians are going to look back in 100 years and just <laughs> wonder how LSU's defense dropped off so much under a defensive minded head coach in Brian Kelly and yeah you're right it wasn't because of talent it was not for lack of talent Texas A&M with the offense kind of holding them back even yep. still Jimbo Fisher's fingerprints were all over that offense this year and it was still sluggish and quarterback injuries a plenty quarterback or lack of quarterback play in the case of you know someone like auburn kentucky they were probably the most disappointing offensive team for me because of what we thought they could do with devin leary coming in garrett any storylines stand out to you in this group i know it's like kind of middle of the pack maybe a little underachieving for most of these teams None of these programs want to be in this uh, in this zone. They're passing, but not great. What what stands out to you? When I look at these teams, I, I think obviously you have some with just the fatal flaw, right? Auburn doesn't play offense, right? You know, LSU doesn't play defense, and and there were some times when that really bit these teams this year. You saw flashes from all these teams. It's kind of the big thing. You saw moments where these teams, okay, hold on, there's there's something going on here, right? Auburn took Georgia to the wire. Auburn took Bama to the wire. You're looking at Auburn, you're saying, okay, well, how about this? And then you have to look over the the glaring weaknesses, right? Auburn losing to, right, New Mexico State out of conference. You know, you look at, you know, teams like, you know, even like Tennessee, losing important games on your schedule has to matter, right? And, And even like Oklahoma, which you just mentioned, they got some of the results on the field they wanted. They did beat Texas. That's a, a plus for Oklahoma. But you then have to turn that around and say, well, you lost Bedlam. And by the way, that's going to be permanent scoreboard until they play that game again. Yep. And also, you lose your bowl game to an Arizona team coming into the conference that you're leaving. And so you kind of have that weird, you know, asymmetrical, like, okay, well, Arizona beat us and they're leaving the conference that we were just in but we're going to a conference we think it's supposed to be better, but like this team just beat us. So are we even ready for that? Leaves a lot of Oklahoma fans, I think, a little uneasy, despite how good the offense looked. And by the way, losing a transfer to that. For me, the team that's kind of the unfortunate casualty of this is Tennessee, though. 
when I look at Tennessee, this feels like the guy who's, you know, almost old enough for the adult table, but not quite right. Like he, he's kind of on that edge where like he does Tennessee doesn't belong in the middle tier. Tennessee was a good football team, but there was just, they weren't quite good. Like they weren't quite great. You know what I mean? They, they, they win their bowl game pretty big. Nico showed a lot in that bowl game. I think they're going to have a really good uh, future there with Tennessee, but they just kind of stalled. They had a chance with Bama and then forgot how to play football in the second half. And man, you just look at Tennessee. I, I think when I look at Tennessee, I think, man, opportunities wasted a team, not quite ready. You know, a team that didn't know what to do in the post Hendon hooker and, and Jalen Hyatt era. And, and hopefully they're figuring some of that out with the new quarterback and, and getting some of those guys in there. I, I want to see Tennessee take that step forward, though, right? They they weren't in that tier this year. I think they can be next year. Well, and losing to Florida and losing to Missouri, yeah. no shame in losing to Missouri this year, but losing to Florida really held yeah. them back, right? If you flip that result, if you give them a win in the Swamp, maybe this season looks a lot better. I think that, that would give them 10 wins, right? That would that would push them up to so, yeah. 10 and 3. So you're probably feeling a lot more optimistic that's why they get a beat, right? It's not a catastrophic yeah. failure for Josh Heupel. Joe Milton was not a uh, hidden hooker. And, you know, it, it showed on, on the field this fall. Like, they, they just didn't have that X factor that really put them over the top. And that's why they're sitting at a B and not a B plus or an A yeah. um, in my mind. Garrett, these teams, you know, it, whether it's Texas A&M moving forward with a new coach, whether it's other programs making adjustments in their staffs, LSU – kind of figuring out uh, what they're going to do on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. Those passing programs, you know, seem to be moving in the right direction. Generally, yeah. I would say all of those programs for our next segment, we have the failures in the sec this year, our D's and our F's. And we put, we gave five programs and now not all of these grades are equal, right? Mississippi state impossible job this year yes. and that's why you know in most cases they're probably getting closer to an f but they're getting a d plus let's figure out how we can improve next year regroup from there vanderbilt is vanderbilt right like that <laughs> they yeah. I, I wanted to see more from clark lee but oh and eight in the sec gonna happen more often than uh than a winning record you need to see a bigger commitment to the program out of vanderbilt before you think that something's really gonna happen there absolutely no matter how many times clark lee says they can be the best program in the country it's not true until the money backs it up but garrett some of these other programs are in deep trouble we talk about the positive direct trajectory of that middle tier i'm struggling to find a lot of positive trajectory for a couple of these programs. Florida had a really tough schedule. It gets tougher next year. It's ranked as the toughest schedule in the entire country based on F- ESPN's F. Maybe FBI. ever. It's a really tough schedule. It, it's impossibly tough. And, you know, I don't know how that's going to, you know, factor into how Billy Napier's uh, actually graded by his bosses. But this year, you know, anytime you're a program as storied as the Florida Gators and you fail to reach a bowl game, you're going to get an F, right? You're going to get an F in the on-field results. We gave them a D minus because there were some bright spots on offense. There were some mm-hmm. very bright spots. They got, they're bringing in some talent. You know, DJ Highway right. is a great addition. He seems to be the quarterback of the future if they can hold on to him. But these other two programs on this list, Arkansas and South Carolina, South Carolina is another one that had an 
difficult and crazy difficult schedule this year. Let's start with the Gamecocks because Shane Beamer and company, you know, they make bowl games surprisingly in his first two years. They fight tooth and nail and somehow make a bowl game. I think they won both of those bowl games of memory serving well, but this year was just, you know, a, a, a big disappointment. And, you know, there were some people picking them as a dark horse in the SEC East. There were some people, maybe not on this show, that were expecting a big step forward but it just didn't happen. Now, all of a sudden, after all the positivity, all the you know good press that Shane Beamer had built up, is it fair to say that he's going to enter 2024 on the hot seat? Maybe not lose his job next year type of thing, but he needs to turn it around quickly. And I'm not necessarily a fan of the whole Beamer ball thing. I don't necessarily think it works. Um, I, I don't think that this is a program that's necessarily as you know, genius as some of the people were telling us that it was, because I think a lot of this program was contingent upon some really talented players early on, just getting it done. And once those talented players have kind of filtered out and, you know, once Spencer Rattler turns out to be a lot closer to Spencer Rattler than, you know, a, a good quarterback, then, then, you know, I think that unfortunately, um, you know, things didn't turn out the way that South Carolina wanted them to. And, and to kind of pull a couple of the stats, they finish 77th in points per game. They finish 66th in points against them per game. They go five and seven, obviously. But look at some of these numbers. So Spencer Rattler, he throws for over 3,000 yards. That's pretty solid. He was the vast majority of the offense. But he only throws 19 touchdowns versus eight interceptions. It's not a very good ratio. You don't want to see that. And by the way, the kind of most of their offense, just to put it in perspective, their leading rusher had 700 yards rushing, and he was number two with 100. So not a whole lot of offense going on there outside of Spencer Rattler. And when you say that, your team's probably in trouble, unfortunately. And, you know, you look at some of the results from the year, you know, some big losses. They had a big string of losses kind of in there in the middle. Lose to Tennessee by 21. Close loss to Florida. Almost got that one done. But then you get smoked by Missouri. You lose to Texas A&M. Not a very good team. You know, I'm just – I'm looking at this whole – season and i'm saying you know i don't think that this is a, a good season for beamer ball and for that projection and i think we need to kind of slow our roll and ask ourselves like what needs to happen schematically obviously got to figure out what's going on on offense do you need a transfer quarterback do you need you know a, a big time running back like what do you need to do to get this thing right i'm glad that i'm not sitting in the seat because while i don't think he's in danger of losing his job this year Things could get real rocky real fast, and he may not escape 25 if he doesn't turn things around in 24. Well, the bright side for South Carolina is they are, you know, I think next year will be his most talented team um, in South Carolina. They've got a new quarterback. You mentioned transfer quarterback. They picked up Robbie Ashford out of Auburn. Fantastic athlete. Maybe not the best quarterback, but, you know, Maybe you can work with that. They got Rocket Sanders from Arkansas. That's going to be a really interesting backfield. And they don't have Georgia on the schedule next year. That's a big plus. They do play Alabama, Oklahoma, and Ole Miss. But yeah. Um, and of course, their rivalry game comes in. But um, it's going to be fascinating to see next year for South Carolina. I think it will be an era defining year. I don't know if it goes south if he loses his job, but it will be an era defining year, I think for Shane Beamer next year in South Carolina. Gary, let's talk about the Arkansas Razorbacks because, you know, Sam Pittman, another coach that got a lot of hype 
of after his first few years. You know, they come out of the Chad Morris era. It's it's as dark as it's ever been in Fayetteville. Sam Pittman is not a household name in the coaching industry when they hire him, but he rockets up people's coach rankings after a couple of solid years to start. And whether it was injuries or scheme or just a bad fit uh, with offensive coordinator, everything just fell apart for the Razorbacks this year. They start one and six, and Gary, it, it was just ugly from the word go. KJ Jefferson looked uncomfortable in the new offensive scheme. I remember back in the summer when they were talking about you know wanting to make him more of a pocket passer, just thinking, why? That that's never <laughs> been his game. And, you know, obviously they suffer a lot of injuries. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of off the field. It's stuff you can't control for Sam Pittman. But to call 2023 anything other than just a colossal failure for him is, you know, I think being way too kind. Well, and especially because we were told going into the season that KJ Jefferson and, you know, Rocket Sanders, they were gonna be the the greatest duo, you know, of quarterback running back duo in, in the whole country. We were told that this was a chance, maybe not one, but they, they're surely two. And, you know, take Sanders out of it for a second. Katie Jefferson is not a good quarterback. And, and I don't think I've ever tried to defend that he is a very good quarterback. There are some questions about who the top quarterbacks were going into the SEC. I've always put him low on all of those lists. Uh, my numbers back me up. Uh, he had the same touchdown interception, interception ratio as Spencer Rattler, the 1911 or the 198. He had... That's where it was. So many fewer passing yards. 2,100 passing yards on the season. That's not good. That's just not going to get it done uh, on the course of the season. Only rushed for 400 as their leading rusher on the season. So KJ, just not it, right? Not it at quarterback. You need something else, right? So figuring out the quarterback position has to be priority number one for Arkansas going into the offseason. Maybe they will. I don't know, but they, they clearly need more, and they need more talent across the board. They're just not a very talented team. The offense has really struggled. The defense has been worse. And, and you know, it just feels like it's been such a long time since Arkansas has been relevant. It's been since their new offensive coordinator used to coach there <laughs> that they, they were relevant. And so, you know, maybe Petrino can turn things around. You know, obviously a failed stint with College Station and, and, and A&M. But maybe Petrino can turn things around for Arkansas. That seems to be the only hope that the Razorbacks still have under Pittman right now is that Petrino shows up, turns your offense into something of yesteryear, and you're back to relevance. You know, maybe for them, I hope that it works. But call me a doubter on that one as well. Things are are rough in Fayetteville right now. They are, and you know, I tried to find some positivity for South Carolina. I'm struggling to find it for Arkansas, man. Like it is going to be a very interesting season next year obviously you know they they lose kj jefferson kj jefferson enters the transfer portal i I think he did he did officially transfer out right i'm not making that i think so yeah i'd I'd have to go check that but yeah i think you're right um you know but they're also they're recruiting 14th out of 16 in the sec when you combine i was just about to say vandy I, I was just about to say when I, I think I was a little too generous in giving the recruiting grade here because yeah, in the new SEC, they, when you combine transfer portal and high school traditional recruiting, they're 14th out of 16th. That's yeah. not going to cut it. And you know, they've got a difficult non-conference game at Oklahoma state. Uh, they've got difficult conference games against A&M, Tennessee, LSU, Texas, 
Mizzou. It, I'm, I'm struggling to find some positivity for Arkansas. If you're an Arkansas fan and you are optimistic about 2024, please write in. Please let us know what we're missing here. But th- this could be I, – I, Sam Pittman is squarely on the hot seat. I think he barely survived this year. The Bobby Petrino hire is, I think, right. SEC shorts joked, just an absolute hot seat Hail Mary. <laughs> um, and and it, it shows, right? I, I think the talent on the field is going to make it really hard for him to survive 2024. Yeah, uh, one quick note on that. KJ Jefferson does transfer to UCF. Okay, thank you. So I, I remember he's, he's a bigger, slower, you know, John Rice Pumley there. So, you know, you're you're working with that. I, you know, him and the Gus Malzahn offense could be really spicy. Like, that kind of reminds me of some of the quarterbacks that he had at Auburn. Over I just, the years. Uh, just press to doubt. I'll, I'll doubt this one for now, but we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm not rooting against him. I hope he can find success and have a good career, but you know, I, I haven't seen anything at Arkansas so far that makes me think he's going to be a, a massive success with UCF. Well, Gus Malzahn will not try to make him a pocket passer. I can almost surely guarantee you that. And so that's going to set him up for a little bit more success right off the bat. Garrett, let's take one more break here and we'll be right back with the ACC. Let's jump into our final segment of this show. We're doing ACC performance reviews. Real quick, let's tell you about our new friends over at Baller Pickleball. Guys, we're so excited about this partnership. It's the off season, and where that means, you know, less time watching football does give us more time for our hobbies. All three of us here at Three Tech HQ love playing pickleball, and I can personally attest that the Baller Pro Paddle is by far the best one that I have ever used. Uh, their founders are for our fellow podcasters, Jason and Jeremy, and they wanted to create this paddle that combined premium quality elite performance and unbeatable affordability and baller was born out of those desires so whether you're a brand new player or you're looking to take your game to the next level check out ballerpickleball.com for all of your paddle and equipment needs and use our code three tech pod for 10 percent off your first order that's baller pickleball b-a-l-l-r pickleball.com use code three tech pod for 10 percent off garrett we joke that the ACC is a bunch of mid, right? Like you can just throw the middle tier into a pot every single year, stir it up. It's going to come out in a random order every single year. And that held true this year. There were some really great teams and a lot of great stories up at the top. And remember that we were talking about all 17. Yes, 17, because that number makes sense. Teams that will be in the Atlantic Coast Conference next year including the three that are nowhere near the Atlantic coast. So let's dive in with our elite, our overachievers top of the class. We've got four programs to highlight here. Florida state gets the highest grade because quite frankly, we're not over them being screwed by the college football playoff committee. It's one of the main reasons that we are excited about moving forward to the 12 team playoff is just how bad they were treated this year. Florida state's only lower mark this year for me was the offensive inconsistency. I wanted to see a little bit more from that talented offense. I know down the stretch, Jordan Travis getting hurt was, you know, a big part of their lower outputs later in the year, but really that was only two and a half games. So yeah, I wanted to see some more consistency. That's why they're down there at a B plus. The defense was fantastic. One of the best in the country. They're going to have a lot of draft picks and overall, when you go undefeated in the regular season and win your power five conference, you can't not get an A plus 
for me. So uh, that that's an A plus. Louisville, I I'm gonna pat myself on the back a little bit here, Garrett. I know it's your scorn lover, <laughs> but and I know that's why you didn't want to jump on the bandwagon fully. But yeah. we highlighted them in the preseason as you know maybe a team that could make a jump because of a weaker schedule. They avoided a lot of the other teams we thought would be towards the top of the ACC. And they lived up to the to the expectations, right? They had a really solid campaign in Jeff Brom's first year back in Louisville. Make it to the conference championship game. They get smothered by that awesome Florida State defense there. But a really solid debut for Jeff Brom and company. NC State quietly won nine games yet again. They've only won 10 games once, I think, in their program's history. It's when Phillip Rivers was their quarterback. And they were this close again. Played a tight game uh, in their bowl game against USC. Or no, that was Louisville. Uh, played a tight game in their bowl game, but uh, fell just short of the 10-win mark. And SMU, the newcomer, winning their first conference title since the 1980s, since the death penalty. It, just a fantastic season from our ponies here in Dallas. And uh, they're coming into the ACC with a lot of momentum. I know the bowl game is leaving some people with a sour taste in their mouth when they lost to a 6-6 six and six Boston College team. That's going to be a future conference opponent of them. But overall, you can't say enough good things about what SMU did this year. They've weathered the adversity of losing their star quarterback. They found a way to still win their conference championship without him. High marks on my end from the ponies. For sure. And, and all these teams did play really well. I think NC State losing the Pop-Tarts Bowl, I think. Pop, thank you. Yeah, that's yeah, they, they didn't get to, you know, taste of the delicious edible mascot. So, you know, was, yeah. A little bit of a bummer for them, I guess. But overall, you know, good performance. If they figure out the offense, this is going to be a really, really good team going forward. Man, just can't get back on Louisville for some reason. I can't get back on Louisville. I don't blame They did a really good job this year, though. They did a really good job. They were a fun team to watch through the year. Um, you know, and I think that they are really just a couple of steps away from being at the top. You're going to have to find a way to nail some of your transfers, I think, and, and get some really good players in there to take this thing to that next level, because I think this last season, they showed you how quickly they can turn things around and put, you know, a good scheme around whatever set of players they have. So if they can, you know, get some good transfers in there, maybe, you know, land some good recruits, they're in a good spot to recruit. Well, so if they can do that, I think they'll be just fine. I will not ever be over what they did to Florida state. Um, I, I cannot believe it. I, I was shocked at the time. The reaction video that I did that morning, you know, still is one of our better performing videos from the bowl season. And man, I'm just, I'm so upset about them screwing Florida State over. It, honestly, the only place where I could really knock Florida State in this whole thing, I mean, besides, you know, the offense struggling to run the football beginning of the season, not necessarily scoring a lot. Um, besides all that, if there was a column for off field results, uh, that's the only place you can knock Florida State for because they did everything you wanted them to do on the field. They they won their games. They scored, you know, a bunch of points down the stretch. And, you know, last couple of games, even without their star quarterback, they still find ways to win. Their defense steps up, plays great. What else do you want out of the Seminoles? I, I don't know what else you could possibly ask for. And so, you know, that's – I won't be over that for a long time. We're going to, you know, be talking about that as the reason why the 12 team is great for a long time going forward. And SMU, I mean, you know, a, a good team, really good team, solid program. Um, I think they're building something really cool. I do think that they'll take a step back now that they do have to play the ACC schedule. But there's some really winnable games on that schedule. And if they can, you know, again, find their way to eight wins, find their way maybe to nine wins, 
I think that you can be really happy about that if you're the ponies. Yeah. And you know, the only other mark on Florida state is an off the field thing. They did get the NIL sanctions yeah, uh, reportedly yeah, sure. levied on them, but honestly, you know, that, that's, that's a program thing. That's not really a season thing, you know, it's not. Yeah. It's kind of like with Michigan, like Michigan did a great job this year, but there was the whole cornerstone thing. Like I, I get it, but they went undefeated and won the natty. You can say whatever you want to like, that's a good season. Yeah. And you know, it stems from Alex Atkins, the offensive coordinator, you're right. It's off the field stuff. Yeah. I personally don't really care about it when I'm grading this season. Will it yeah. maybe hurt the perception of the Seminoles going forward? Maybe. Oh, I sure, honestly yeah. don't think so. I think NIL violations might be a, that, look, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't think there's going to be enough teeth to what the NCAA can do to police NIL. And if you're oh, in yeah. the news for having maybe a little bit of loose NIL stuff, that might actually work in your favor in recruiting because the recruits know they can come to you and get a little bit extra. I do think that, you know, to make a comparison here, I think NIL violations are about to be like speeding. Yeah, it's illegal. Yeah, you're not supposed to do it. You know, yeah, yeah, there's a place where if you're flagrant with it, you are dangerous and you need to be, you know, removed or something like that. But realistically, everyone's going to do it. No one's really going to care. And, you know, you'll get your ticket, you'll get your little fine and you'll move on and, you could tell all your friends, like if you told all your friends, yeah, I got a ticket for speeding. Nobody's really going to judge you like you did a bad thing, right? And I think that's kind of where we're going to go with the NIL violations. No one really cares. You're playing the game. Everyone understands the environment now. So just play the game. It's, it's you know, it's, it is what it is. It's a new era of college football, and the NCAA is so neutered. They can't do anything about it anyways. Yeah, just quickly running through what those other punishments are. Two years probation, scholarship reductions of 5% over the next two years. Reduction of set a reduction by seven in official recruiting visits, uh, prohibition on recruiting communication for six weeks, and a, a couple other just like logistical things. And Alex Atkins, I think, is suspended for the first three games next year. He's not the play caller anyway. It's probably yeah. not going to affect Florida State, but just something to monitor for the Seminoles going forward. Garrett, let's go to our middle tier. And like I said, these are programs year in year out that you can just throw in a bucket, pull them out, whatever order you want. You're going to be close. Uh, to what the final standings indicate. And that's why it is our most absurd graphic. Of yeah, uh, apologies to the viewers right now. If you're listening to this, no problem. But to the viewers that are seeing this absurdity, I'm so sorry. There's no way to fit this many teams on a graphic and make it look good. So, you know, we apologize. We thought, should we do two? Now nah, we're just going to stick it with one. One big, ugly graphic. Well, and I think the the funny thing about this group of teams is how different they are. Mm -hmm. and the reasoning that they're in this take. So you've got teams like Boston College, Cal, y'all's darling Georgia Tech, and Virginia Tech that I think all, all of those teams, all four of them surprise people by making a bowl game this year. Yeah. And uh, at least surprise, you know, most pundits by making a bowl game this year. Not surprising you guys for Georgia Tech. Not but me and Mitch, nope. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, you know, they're here as kind of a more positive passing and then you've got teams like clemson who is still struggling to get back into that elite tier duke who kind of fell you know a b is pretty good by duke football standards but you know they were hoping for more this year uh you've got syracuse who fired their coach you've got um missing a couple here um the two we're going to talk about here in a second the two biggest names objectively miami and north carolina 
Um, they're just here for a bunch of different reasons. And Garrett, I do want to talk about the Hurricanes and the Tar Heels here because just like we talked about with Arkansas and South Carolina, a couple of programs that are at the crossroads, a couple of programs that I think most fan bases are pretty sure they should have been doing uh, better over the last couple of years. I don't know how much North Carolina – I don't have the pulse for the North Carolina fan base. So we we can start with them. Obviously defense has been a huge, huge struggle with them, but on the field results this year, I think we're really disappointing overall for the Tar Heels. You have the guy who's going to end up being the number two, probably prospect in the NFL draft. We'll get into our draft coverage really soon. But when you have Drake may and you have all the offensive talent that they have, it's really, really disappointing to have a ceiling of about eight wins as a half team. Yeah, and it does show that you can't truly just play one side of the football. We we see it, and we see some teams who say, like, okay, well, are you just, like, an elite defense and no offense? Are you an elite offense, no defense? You can't really do either because it ultimately will hold you back, right? If you're a great offensive team but your defense is bad, not only are you going to be playing from behind sometimes, which will limit – what you can call as an offense, but it'll also take your offense out of a rhythm. Sometimes you've seen like ball control teams go up against a high powered offense and it gets them, you know, off their rhythm. They don't touch the football for seven or eight minutes of game time. And you can watch that happen where the team breaks down. I think North Carolina is a great example of this where the offense is great. No problem. They, they failed to reach. I'm looking through their results. They failed to reach the 30 point scoring mark, like three times this year, they lost all those games. Um, it is Clemson, North Carolina State, and uh, Virginia. They lost all those games. You shouldn't be losing, you know, to Virginia in the first place. You shouldn't be losing to Virginia at all. Yeah. But but if you can just <laughs> score some points, like yeah. and you know, keep up with some of those teams, you should have to be okay. But when you look at some of those outputs, you gave up 31 to Virginia in that game, 31 to Clemson, who they struggled on offense for a lot of the season, and 39 to North Carolina State. We just gave them a bad mark on offense. North Carolina State shouldn't be scoring, you know, 40 on you almost, right? That's that's a that's a bad mark. You shouldn't be doing that as that program. So for me, you know, at North Carolina, you got to figure out a way to play some defense, man. You got to find some way to get some transfers in there. You got to find a new defensive coordinator. You got to find new, you know, defensive analysts. You got to get a new camera for your, you know, you know, all 22s. You got to find you got to figure out what to do cuz you got to play some better defense, man. You got to find a way to put a good program out there with your defense. And if they can, I have no doubt that they can build a good program, that they can they can build a winning program and compete in the new ACC with all these new teams coming in. They'll stay on top, but they have to actually do And And I worry that if they can't do that, if they can't put a good defense out there, that losing this, you know, all talented quarterback, this, this extremely talented quarterback that will go high in the draft and probably have a pretty good NFL career. I worry that maybe that's going to be something that, once you just have a good quarterback or, or a, you know, even a great, but not quite elite quarterback, what happens to your offense when you're only scoring 35 points a game or 30 points a game or 28 points a game. And those numbers start to kind of come down, you know, from where they've been the last couple of years. I worry about that from North Carolina. They got to figure out how to play some defense. They also have to figure out how to finish seasons, right? Because for the second season in a row, they start hot. They were six and zero. I think they were what eight and one last year when we were saying, Hey, you might want to pay attention to North Carolina. And you know, they just collapsed down the stretch two and five. Their only wins were against Cam Campbell 
and in a rivalry game against a very depleted Duke team. Yeah. Um, and then they get embarrassed in the Duke's Mayo Bowl to a West Virginia team that had no business beating this North Carolina team by 20 points, Drake May or no Drake May. Yeah. It, it's concerning for Mac Brown and North Carolina. I don't know how much more time Mac Brown has left in the coaching profession. Uh, there, there's just a lot of question marks moving forward for this program. Yeah, there's lots of questions and, you know, maybe it's max time. I don't know if that's true or not. Like he's a good coach. He's, he's won a championship. So I'm not worried about him being able to, you know, still coach. I just, I worry that the the stuff he has around him maybe isn't as good as it used to be And that, you know, when you, when you look on the defensive side, especially, I, I worry that they won't be able to play enough defense to stay competitive. I'm, I'm nervous about that. Um, I'm also nervous that in the new ACC that there won't be enough commitment to the program. They won't be able to keep up with things like NIL and the transfer portal and stuff like that. So, you know, it's, 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 that's a bigger conversation about the ACC as a whole, but right now going into this new era, you'd much rather be a Florida state or a Louisville or even an SMU where you're kind of on top and you've got a lot of momentum as opposed to North Carolina, who's kind of, you know, kind of, you know, just kind of gone away and, and flamed out a little bit over the last couple of years. Let's talk about the Miami Hurricanes, Garrett, because they're the other, you know, Clemson, I think is the closest of this group to being back to elite Miami, man. When you look at their grades, they didn't have a bad offense. Their defense was pretty solid. They recruited well. The talent is there. What's the only thing that could lead them to a D and on the field results? Say it with me, Garrett. Coaching, Coaching. right? <laughs> like, I, I don't know how you could go into 2024 confident in your coaching staff if you're a Miami Hurricane fan. Because, you know, everybody, the easy low-hanging fruit is obviously the Georgia Tech game where he can just kneel the ball and they beat Georgia Tech and y'all's rambling wreck bowl bound is, you know, gone. Um, Never in doubt. But... <laughs> Just it, it's it's not only the Georgia Tech game. It was time and time again this year. It seemed like you know they're just coaching decision after coaching decision that was questionable at best and just fireable at worst. Yeah, well, and you know, I, I was thinking about trying to make some kind of a joke about well, maybe he could hire an offensive coordinator who brings along a victory formation package with them or something like that. I, I don't know if that was in their playbook. If they knew that they could just kneel the ball down and win another game. That does make a difference. You win another game on this schedule and you say, oh, look, this looks a little bit better. You can sell that to recruits. You can sell that to transfers a little better. They're they're doing what they need to do. Tyler Van Dyke's a, a good quarterback, and he looked bad under Cristobal. He looked amazing, and then he looked bad all of a sudden. I, I hope the same doesn't happen with our guy Cam Ward. I hope that doesn't happen for him and that he gets down there and then all of a sudden, you know, flames out and disappears. I look at this, uh, you know, th- there's not a commitment to the program. Right. We just kind of said that with I worry about that with North Carolina. There's not a commitment to the program from Miami. They've got like a guy. Nobody shows up to those games. There's like zero passion for their program. I'd be afraid of offending the Miami fans with the take here, but I don't know if there's enough of them to get mad at us. And so <laughs> I, I, I'm just I'm concerned about Miami because, you know, they keep saying like, oh, we're up on top. They got the number one class in the ACC right now in recruiting. They're, they're going to bring in talent, but this was true last year. They've had talent last year. There's no reason why they should have been losing some of these games. You know, I, I, I'm looking up and down at the results. And I'm just, I'm dumbfounded. I'm looking at this saying, okay, Georgia Tech, that's a dumb loss. 
shouldn't have lost that game, especially after, you know, a couple of sound beatings up to that point. It was 38-3 over Miami, Ohio. They beat AM 48-33. They beat a nobody Bethune-Cookman 48-7. They beat Temple 41-7. So things are rolling. You should be beating teams like Georgia Tech. Uh, we're a fan of what Georgia Tech did this season, but you should beat Georgia Tech if you're Miami. They lose for dumb reasons. Then you lose to North Carolina, who we just mentioned. Like, they don't play defense. You can't find a way to score. Play a little defense with North Carolina. Keep up. You know, you beat Clemson. That feels good until you realize maybe they weren't nearly as good as we thought they were. And then you just end the season on a massive downswing. You lose to North Carolina State. You score six points in that game. You lose to Florida State in a big game that mattered in a rivalry game and all that. You lose to Louisville. That's a good Louisville team. And then obviously, you know, you beat Boston College, you lose to Rutgers in your bowl game. And now you're just sitting here saying, well, like, what's next? Nothing really to be excited about. Your best win was a, a bad Clemson. So, like, what are you excited about if you're a Miami fan? How are you going to drive the fan base to come out and support this team? How are you going to get more support around this program? How are you going to get more people interacting on social media? I don't know what the answer is for that. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that there's no reason for them to be excited with this coaching staff. This coaching staff is not going to succeed at Miami. They just won't. They don't have it in them. I don't think Chris Ball is that good. And I just don't think that they have it in them to succeed at Miami, succeed anywhere for Crystal Ball. But I just don't think that he can do that. And so, look, I don't know what the answer is. It's got to be a hot seat. Um, I mean, Florida State stock up for them right now in the state with Miami and Florida having as many issues at the coaching spot as they have. Stock up Florida State. I don't care about, you know, any sort of sanctions or penalties or anything else like that. The rest of your state sucks right now. So, you know, congrats to the Seminoles for getting to kind of run your state for a couple of years. The thing that they're going to hope on is the talented roster, right? Like we, we've seen time and time again, sure. you can overlook the coaching lack of acumen at programs. If the t- ra- roster is talented enough, they're going to have the most talented or second most talented behind Florida State roster in the entire conference next year. Maybe you want to argue Clemson's up there, fine. But I think they'll be top two in just raw talent that they put on the field. and. Whether or not Mario Cristobal and company can do anything with that remains to be seen. They certainly haven't so far, and it's absolutely concerning going forward. Just a word of warning on the let's count on talented players. The number one recruiting class of all time at Texas A&M lost to App State week two. Exactly. So, like, yeah. let's just let's take a big step back and say, like, your talent matters, but it doesn't matter if you don't have a good coach. It right. doesn't matter mm-hmm. if your coaches can't put them in a position to win. And Mike Norvell is doing a fantastic job of yeah. plugging holes with elite talent in the transfer portal. Miami's kind of doing the Texas A&M thing, right, under Jimbo Fisher, where they're getting a lot of talented recruits from the high school ranks, but not filling those obvious holes. I know they got Cam Ward, but right, besides, not, yeah, yeah. besides Cam, Cam Ward aside, they're not really filling those obvious holes in the well, transfer portal. And who cares if they fill them? Can Cristobal coach them up to win? Like, he took a guy in Tyler Van Dyke who all of us were projecting, like, he's going to be a top pick. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. He's a dark horse for the highest. He took him and just, I mean, disappeared his career. And yeah. so, like, <laughs> gone. Go See you later, TVD. I hope it's not the same for Cam Ward because I think he's a good quarterback. I think he could have done better than landing at Miami. And I know I'm coming off as a Miami hater here. But this program's in trouble. This program ended up in the passing for the season by the skin of their teeth. Yeah. They're in trouble next year if they can't, you know, they got to beat one of the Florida schools. 
They got to be someone there. I don't know if they do they have Florida on the schedule. I don't know if they, they do. Yeah, Florida is playing the round robin in the non. Yeah, so they got to be Florida, or they got to be Florida State, or I don't know. Clemson's got to be a. I don't know if they have Clemson on the schedule next year. I don't know what exactly their schedule is, but they've got to win some big games, and they got to stop losing these stupid ones. Right, kneel the football, show up to a game at home. Right, show up to a game at home against someone in your conference. Let's start trying to win some football games before we're talking about the the U being back. The the t- toughest road game in conference is at Louisville. They don't have North Carolina. They don't have uh, Clemson on the schedule next year. So the wins will are they be dodging there. Georgia Tech? Or are they gonna? They do travel to Bobby Dodd Stadium next year. So not hold on to your butts for that one. <laughs> um, Garrett, let's close this out really quickly with. Our last group, and these are the uh, failed seasons this year in the ACC. We've got four programs, and, you know, I feel bad putting Stanford and Virginia on here. Stanford has a new coach, and, uh, you know, first year, I gave them the highest grade, or, yeah, highest grade out of these four because of the new coach. I think there were some positive things that you could say. They've lost a few guys in the transfer portal this offseason, but they are recruiting well, relatively well. And, you know, we'll see how that translates to on-the-field success and maybe a slightly easier conference than the division that they were in in the Pac-12 North. Virginia, obviously, Tony Elliott has dealt with a lot of adversity in his short tenure at Virginia. I just don't know that he is the guy to lead Virginia out of that adversity. That remains to be seen. Pitt and Wake Forest, though. These are two teams that were competing for the ACC title not two years ago. And, you know, you see their elite quarterbacks, uh, Kenny Pickett at Pittsburgh, Sam Hartman uh, transferring from Wake Forest. Once they're gone, these programs just seem to have dove, dived off a cliff. And I, I'm more surprised at Dave Clawson's Wake Forest team because they were just the epitome of consistency. They, they peaked at uh, nine or ten wins a couple years ago. But, you know, you could always count on his bunch to get six and six, seven and five, eight and four, that type of range. They weren't going to play great defense, but you could count on the offense. The offense was last in the ACC this year. It's not in good. Total production. It, it was a rough year for Wake Forest. Yeah, tough year for them. And you want to think that they can bounce back, but it really seems with a lot of these ACC teams, it's kind of the value of your quarterback and not a whole lot else, right? It, it seems like yeah, there's some good defense sometimes, and you know, yeah, there's some good performances at times for certain teams, but it really just seems like unless you have a really good quarterback who's going to find their way into the NFL draft, you're not really going to be relevant, and even then, it can sometimes still struggle in the ACC, right? We talked about North Carolina just a second ago. I, I worry that this is maybe the case at Pitt and at Wake Forest, right? I, I worry that this is maybe the case for them where they're saying, you know what, until that next big-time quarterback comes walking through that door, it's going to be a little while, right? And the hard part about that is the second that they have somebody succeed, what's to stop them from getting Sam Hartman, right? And, and right. going and taking a, a gig at a better offer, right? It's, it's a better offer to go play at Notre Dame than Wake Forest, at least for this last season. They were in a better position to compete. What's to say that's going to stop a lot of other players? There isn't any quality here with the portal, right? Where you take a team that's a little bit on the downside and they try to build it, right? With, with getting a top quarterback, with getting some stud players at the skill positions and you try to build this program. But the problem is unless you have immediate success and unless you have like, you know, a 10 win season, 
it's really and a donor to pay those guys. Yeah, and donors to pay and you know NIL and everything else. But unless you have that, it's really unfortunate. But a lot of those guys are going to go take better gigs to go get more exposure, and they're just looking out for their draft stock. I can't blame them for that, right? They're they're saying I get a couple years in college to play football until I get a chance to maybe make millions of dollars or maybe sell insurance. And so you know, I worry that you know for a lot of these lower tiered teams, and we could see a couple teams in the ACC fall into this next year looking at you, North Carolina, looking at you, <laughs> trying to figure out some of these teams that once you lose your quarterback, you could be down. I-, I worry this is the case for some of these teams where now lack of commitment to the program, lack of you know high-quality star players, blue-chip players, I worry that that's going to lead to a lot of teams getting left by the wayside, and especially in the ACC. Yeah, and I- I'm more confident in Dave Clawson, I think, than I am uh, Pat Marduzzi at Pitt. Sure. Pat Norduzzi seems like a guy that should be coaching in the 1980s, not the 2020s, uh, just personally, anecdotally. But yeah, it, it, I'm interested to see how Stanford adjusts to the ACC. Very interested to see if they can get back to, you know, finding the right guys to fit their culture out there like they had about 10 years ago um, when Harbaugh and Shaw were really had things humming out there. Yeah. That that's going to remain to be seen. They did recruit relatively well this year, though, so we'll see if that translates to wins on the field. Virginia, I I, I really don't think Tony Elliott is the guy there, yeah. and I, I know that he hasn't really gotten a fair shot with everything that he's gone through. But yeah, it just seems like it might be a little too much for him to be running a major college football program at this point in his career. Well, and and sometimes it's not necessarily anything that you've done wrong, but it's just nice to get some fresh blood in there, kind of get a little bit of a change of scenery and get some new guys in there. I exactly. hope he can turn it around. Like I'm rooting for him. I want him to turn the whole thing around and, you know, put Virginia in a competitive place, but it might just be time to get some new faces in there that, you know, ha- haven't gone through some of this stuff, haven't been on the losing end of a lot of, you know, kind of rough seasons and other stuff off the field and everything else. It, obviously not his fault, but, you know, again, sometimes it's just it, it sucks to be the guy in that situation, you know, given that given that time. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Garrett, that is 33 teams that we talked about, at least briefly today. Uh, SEC and ACC report cards are in the bag. Like I said, we will have a part two of this episode at some point, breaking down the Big Ten and the Big 12. Um, looking forward to it, Gary. We got a lot of fun content coming down the pipe this off season. Draft season is right around the corner, and all the fun stuff of spring football and season previews will be here before we know it. For Mitch Mason, who couldn't be with us today, for Mr. Garrett Turney, right over there. I am Trey Reeves, and we'll see you next time. Gracious, how about that?